1: From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire, beginning today with a audio recommendation. Now, despite the fact that I am a... Podcast creator. I am not that much of a podcast listener. Every now and again, I stumble upon something grand, and uh, I have stumbled upon such a thing for you now. It is certainly not obscure. <laughs> By any stretch of the imagination, but I do believe you will uh, appreciate and enjoy it. This is Rachel Maddow's new series called Ultra, which is about the Nazi movement in America in the 1940s. And it is um, very, very compelling listening, in particular because uh, of the very obvious parallels that they draw out to today's political climate. Yes, it is distressing, but it is somewhat illuminating to discover that this is not the first time our nation has been in the throes, shall we say, illiberal overseas forces. And it is not the first time They have found sympathetic ears in the corridors of power on the Potomac. So, uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, I highly recommend it. Is it more compelling than the great American novel, Wuthering Heights? Well, I don't think so. I mean, yes, it is, but but I don't think so, particularly when we have all kinds of uh, subterfuge occurring right now. I mean, we've got an illicit love, we've got a kind of Montague and Capulet thing arising if the Montagues and Capulets were first cousins. Because that is the situation that Linton and young Miss Cathy find themselves in as Long distance, lovers, well, if if four miles can be considered a long distance, but it is when you are forbidden from seeing each other as the Capulets and Montagues were. This is a pen pal romance as discovered by our humble narrator, Mrs. Dean, who has unearthed a trove of love love letters between Kathy and... Linton, she has squirreled them away from Kathy. She has intercepted the go-between, and that is where we left off last time with uh, her saying it was more, these are her letters, more simple and more eloquent than her cousins. I shook my head and went meditating into the house. And so we begin again, chapter 21 of Wuthering Heights. The day being wet, she could not divert herself with rambling about the park. Oh, they are, God, they are, God, they do a lot of rambling. Not just the moors, also the park. So at the conclusion of her morning studies, she resorted to the solace of the drawer The drawer where her letters were kept, and she does not yet know that Miss Dean has stolen them. Her father sat reading at the table, and I, on purpose, had sought a bit of work in some unripped fringes of the window-curtain, keeping my eye steadily fixed on her proceedings.' Never did any bird flying back to a plundered nest which it had left brimful of chirping young ones (laughs) express more complete despair in its anguished cries and flutterings than she, by her single, oh, and the change that transfigured her late, happy countenance. Mr. Linton looked up. What is the matter, love? Have you hurt yourself? He said. His tone and look assured her he had not been the discoverer of the hoard. No, Papa, she gasped. Ellen, Ellen, come upstairs. I'm sick. Well, there is no question that uh, she's going to rip Ellen a new one. That is for sure. She thinks she's sick now. Well, wait till Ellen turns around and vomits up her accusations against her. I will say that there is something in the way... Ellen has handled this romantic dalliance. That leads me to believe that she does not remember her own erstwhile teenage years because, of course, the forbidden love is more delicious than any other. And, uh, you know, I just have a hard time believing that this could not have been handled in a better way. And perhaps in a more sneaky way, I have to say. I mean, had she just, and I mean Ellen, and maybe her father too, sort of um, allowed a little bit of dalliance between young Linton and young Kathy, she would have seen him for the gossipy twit, I guess. He's a twit. You know, she would have seen that. But because Ellen has kept them apart and her family has kept them apart, they've been able to communicate only by letter and in doing so have as as... So many people have discovered over the years when they are trying to date electronically, you end up heightening the attraction to each other. You know what I mean? You end up making it more so because the person isn't there with their annoying habits and their idiosyncrasies and their farts and whatever else. And so you build up in your mind something that is not a reality, and I suspect that is what has happened. Oh, I know. That is what has happened here with these letters. They She could have handled it better, is what I'm saying, is what I'm saying. So, I'm going to be sick, she says. I obeyed her summons and accompanied her out. Oh, Ellen, you have got them. She commenced immediately, dropping on her knees when we were enclosed again. Oh, give them to me, and I'll never Never do so again. Don't tell Papa. You have not told Papa Ellen. Say you have not. I've been exceedingly naughty, but I won't do it more. Well, I don't believe her. a Jot, do you? No. No. When the teenage heart is in bloom, nothing can be done except the passage of time uh, to let it wilt. There is, there is simply nothing to do. With the grave severity in my manner, I bid her stand up. So... "'I exclaimed, "'Miss Catherine, "'you are tolerably far on, it seems. "'You may well be ashamed of them. "'A fine bundle of trash "'you study in your leisure hours, "'to be sure. "'Why, it's good enough to be printed. "'And what do you suppose "'the master will think "'when I display it before him? "'I haven't shown it yet. "'But you needn't imagine "'I shall keep your ridiculous secrets "'for shame. "'And you must have led the way "'in writing such absurdities.' He would not have thought a beginning, I'm certain. I didn't, I didn't, sobbed Kathy, fit to break her heart. I didn't once think of loving him till Loving, cried I, as scornfully as I could utter the word, loving. Did anybody ever hear the like? I might as well just talk of loving the miller who comes once a year to buy our corn. <laughs> well, I mean, if you'd seen the miller, you know. Maybe it's not such a far stretch. I mean, the fact that she brings up the miller who comes once a month to buy the corn makes me think maybe Miss Dean has a little something-something going on with the miller. Certainly an attraction. My goodness, that is just... I'm getting hot and bothered just thinking about it. My goodness, the miller. (laughs) Miss Dean, you naughty thing. You and that miller skulking about. In the corn silo, no doubt. My goodness. The miller who comes once a year... or oh, once a year to buy our corn. Pretty loving indeed. And both times together you have seen Linton hardly four hours in your life. Now here is the babyish trash. I'm going with it to the library and we'll see what your father says to such loving. Now, I'm telling you, Ellen, this is not the way to go about it. You want to keep her close. If anything... You want to go to the dad in secret and work out some strategy, you know? You don't just you don't just throw the whole house into commotion over this, you're just gonna make it worse. Why doesn't she know this? No, oh, because she's too busy thinking of the miller, no doubt. She sprang at her precious epistles, but I held them above my head. And then she poured out further frantic entreaties that I would burn them, do anything rather than show them. "'and being really fully as inclined to laugh his scold, "'for I esteemed it all girlish vanity. "'I at length relented in a measure and asked, "'If I consent to burn them, "'will you promise faithfully neither to send nor receive a letter again, "'nor a book, for I perceive you have sent him books, "'nor locks of hair, nor rings, nor playthings? "'We don't send playthings,' cried Catherine. "'her pride overcoming her shame. "'Nor anything at all, then, my lady,' I said. "'Unless you will, here I go. "'I promise, Ellen,' she cried. "'Catching my dress, oh, put them in the fire. "'Do, do!' "'But when I proceeded to open a place with the poker, "'the sacrifice was too painful to be borne. "'She earnestly supplicated that I would spare her one or two, "'one or two, Ellen, to keep for Linton's sake.' I unknotted the handkerchief, and commenced dropping them in from an angle, and the flame curled up the chimney. I will have one, you cruel wretch, she screamed, darting her hand into the fire and drawing forth some half-consumed fragments at the expense of her fingers. Very well, and I will have some to exhibit to Papa, I answered, shaking back the rest into the bundle and turning a new to the door. I'm telling you, Ellen, you are screwing this up left and right. First of all, when you discovered the letters in the drawer, you shouldn't have stolen them. You could have yes, I understand you wanted to read them. You wanted to make sure everything was what you thought it was and all the silliness and the and uh and the and and the tittering and the love making and the kissy kissy and all of that. I understand. You are in charge of this gal and you wanted to make sure that she is still pure. Okay, I get that, all right? But the thing to do wasn't to steal them and to and to, and to hide them in your apron strings and to into accost the milk fetcher and all the rest of the drama. What you should have done is returned them to their rightful place and had a powwow with the man of the house. That was the responsible thing to do both ethically and Uh, as your employer you should have just had it out with him hashed out a stratagem to deal with this because you know you know because of your love for the miller how the heart springs into action and how even a fire a roaring fire will not prevent fingers from snatching at that love come on you know better what are you going what are you what are you really serving to do here except drive her into the arms of Linton and thereby drive her into the arms of Heathcliff? That is exactly what he wanted and you are playing right into his clutches you fool. God, I'm aggravated right now. Aggravated at Ellen. <sighs> aggravated at the Nazis and the, you know, infiltrating the United States government. Angry at the whole America First crowd as I have been from the beginning. And, you know, it makes me think, listening to this podcast and comparing it and contrasting it with the events that have unspooled in our own nation the past few years, it makes you think, you know what, there's just some real dickheads out there, you know? It, it always seems like it's the dickheads who are running things, because the dickheads have no compunctions about seizing power. That's what they want. That's what, kind of what makes them dickheads, you know, and so it should be no surprise that occasionally, often, the dickheads do end up in charge of shit, you know, and whether it's vanity or whether it's ego or whether it's, you know, financial, whatever, they're just, they're just weak people who are really just in it for, for, for personal gain, I mean, I guess you get I guess you got a few true believers in whatever the cause is, whatever the cause du jour, you know, whether it's Putin loving or Orban loving or Hitler loving or Muslim bashing or trans bashing or Jew bashing or whatever it is. But most people are just trying to get theirs, and it's very disheartening. Because it makes you think, well, gee, maybe I've gone about this life entirely the wrong way. You know? Because, you know. If you could just, if you could just rid yourself of a conscience, if you could just set aside any morality, think about how happy you'd be. God, I'd be happy. I understand I've just described a sociopath, but don't you think sociopaths are probably happy? I do. I would be a happy sociopath. I would be the happiest sociopath you ever met. You'd, you'd, you'd see me walking down the street, grinning from ear to ear, you know? pockets full of cash diamonds on the soles of my shoes and you'd go well, what 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 happened to that guy he looks like a sociopath and you know what you'd be right alright let's take a little break take a moment to ourselves to gather our thoughts to calm down to maybe download uh, you know Madhouse podcast ultra whatever it is you want to do we'll be back in a moment here on Ub 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 or OB.
0: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Back in Obscure, having a delightful time. Uh, We've just finished Chapter 20. Oh, wait, we didn't finish Chapter 21. I I got into a dither, and we're about to finish Chapter 21. So, uh, let's do that. So, she emptied her blackened pieces into the flames, and motioned me to finish the immolation. It was done. I stirred up the ashes and interred them under a shovel full of coals, and she, mutely and with a sense of intense injury, retired to her private apartment. I descended to tell my master that the young lady's qualms of sickness was almost gone, but I judged it best for her to lie down a while. You know, she's got her own vanity, that's the thing, because she likes being the keeper of secrets. She likes knowing all this shit, you know? She likes being that chick. I get it, but man, man, oh man. She wouldn't dine, but she reappeared at tea, pale and red about the eyes, and marvelously subdued in outward aspect. Next morning, I answered the letter by a slip of paper inscribed, Master Heathcliff is requested to send no more notes to Miss Linton, as she will not receive them. And thenceforth, the little boy came with vacant pockets. End of chapter 21. So yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, a lot of doings. Over there at Thrushcross Grange, a lot of, you know, spy shit going on. And Miss Dean right in the center of all of it. You know, that's just the way she is. Chapter 20, I mean, and good thing too, because she's narrating our story, you know. I, I guess this is just a 19th century convention. just a Just a ridiculous convention of the times that you got narrators upon narrators upon narrators. I mean, two out of three of our books have have done this, and I, I, I didn't care for it then, I don't care for it now. This book, Wuthering Heights, should be told from uh, Nellie's, it's Nellie's story and nobody else's. And that's just a fact of the matter you know, Lockwood plays almost no role in this book whatsoever. There's no reason for him to be there. Now, we thought maybe he would confront Heathcliff, maybe blah, 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 uh, earlier in the book. But by this point, it's clear. This is Ellen's story to tell. Lockwood is just airbnb little his little room at Thrushcross Grange, And, uh, you know, so be it. But it's it's, I just don't like it. I don't like that. Look, I can forgive it. I get it. It's a literary convention. You know, it's a little anachronistic to us now. Probably felt very modern then but I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I suppose it has something to do with the fact that there has to be an excuse to tell this story. You know what I mean? It's like in these books, not in uh, Jude, but in, in Frankenstein and in this book, there's like an excuse. Like you have to, in, 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 um, in Frankenstein, it was letter writing. I'm, letter, I'm writing these, these letters back to my sister in England. That is the excuse why, the, why this has been conveyed. Uh, in this book, it is Lockwood's curiosity. Propelling Nellie to tell the tale, and so it is conveyed. We, 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 and it's not until later with uh, Jude the Obscure that you would just tell the tale for the for the sake of the tale, you know. Anyway, summer drew to an end and early autumn. It was past Michaelmas, you know, that famous American holiday, but the harvest was late that year, and a few of our fields were still uncleared. Mr. Linton and his daughter would frequently walk out among the reapers at the carrying of the last sheaves. They stayed till dusk and the evening happening to be chill and damp. My master, uh-oh, uh-oh, caught a bad cold, uh-oh, that settling obstinately on his lungs, uh-oh, can find him indoors throughout the whole of the winter, nearly without intermission. Whenever somebody gets sick in this book, they die. You know, everybody's always dropping dead left and right. It's a a whole thing. It's terrible. Now, what's going to happen with Edgar out of the picture? You know, Kathy's got a, has nobody to answer to. She's got no mama, no papa. Where's she going to go? We both know the answer. Poor Kathy, frightened from her little romance, had been considerably sadder and duller since its abandonment, and her father insisted on her reading less and taking more exercise. She had had his companionship no longer. I esteemed it a duty to supply its lack, as much as possible with mine. An inefficient substitute, for I could only spare two or three hours from my numerous diurnal occupations to follow her footsteps, and then my society was obviously less desirable than his. Well, don't put yourself down, sweetheart. I mean, you know, you're as much a mama to that girl as anybody. You know, she, she's grown up with you more than with her dad. So, yeah, you're not related, and yeah, you're in the employ of her father, but you've raised that young lady. And don't think you have, and we know it, and we give you full credit. On an afternoon in October, or the beginning of November, a fresh, watery afternoon when the turf and paths were rustling with moist withered leaves and the cold blue sky was hidden by clouds. Dark gray streamers rapidly mounting from the west and boding abundant rain "'I requested my young lady to forgo her ramble "'because I was certain of showers.' "'Rambling. God, you and your rambling.' "'She refused, and I unwillingly donned a cloak "'and took my umbrella to accompany her on a stroll "'to the bottom of the park, a formal walk, "'which she generally affected if low-spirited, "'and that she invariably was "'when Mr. Edgar had been worse than ordinary.' a thing never known from his confession, but guessed both by her and me from his increased silence and the melancholy of his countenance. She went sadly on. There was no running or bounding now, though the chill wind might well have tempted her to a race. And often, from the side of my eye, I could detect her raising a hand and brushing something off her cheek. Well... Is it is it Is it a raindrop, perhaps, or is it a te a tear? you know, I worry, I worry about the young lady in my charge. I gazed round for a means of diverting her thoughts on one side of the road rose a high, rough bank where hazels and stunted oaks with their roots half exposed held uncertain tenure. The soil was too loose for the latter, and strong winds had blown some nearly horizontal. In summer, Miss Catherine delighted to climb among these trunks and sit in the branches, swinging twenty feet above the ground, and I, pleased with her agility and her light childish heart, still considered it proper to scold every time I caught her at such an elevation, but so that she knew there was no necessity for descending. From dinner to tea... She would lie in her breeze-rocked cradle, doing nothing except singing old songs. My nursery lower to herself. Or watching the birds, joint tenants, feed and entice their young ones to fly. Or nestling with closed lids, half-thinking, half-dreaming, happier than words can express. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's all very lyrical. And, uh, you know, you feel bad. Miss Catherine, still a little lovelorn, and we think about her climbing up those trees and nestling among the leaves, the boughs, and the branches, and the birds. And now here she is, a sullen teen, a single tear rolling down her cheek as her father lays abed, bed, and her lover probably gazes forlornly out the window panes over there, not four miles away at Wuthering Heights. Look, miss, I exclaimed, pointing to a nook under the roots of one twisted tree. Winter is not here yet. There's a little flower up yonder, the last bud from the multitude of bluebells that clouded those turf steps in July with a lilac mist. Will you clamber up and pluck it to show your papa? Oh, Nellie trying so hard you know to get the gal interested in stuff remember you know you used to love to climb these trees and and oh, look there's an old flower you know winter's not quite here yet young lass why don't you why don't you clamber up there and and get it and uh you know it's transparent to us but hopefully not to Kathy. Hopefully she'll scramble right up that tree and pluck that flower and everybody will be happy all over again. Kathy stared a long time at the lonely blossom trembling in its earthy shelter and replied at length, No, I'll not touch it, but it looks melancholy, does it not, Ellen? Yes, I observed, about as starved and sackless as you. Your cheeks are bloodless. Let us take hold of hands and run. You're so low, I dare say I shall keep up with you. So again, she's trying to spur on to some fun. We'll have a little race, you and I. Me and my plump brown bottom and you and your spindly legs. And you're so low-spirited, I bet I'll even keep up with you. She's willing to make a fool of herself running. But Kathy says no, she repeated and continued sauntering on, pausing "'at intervals to muse over a bit of moss "'or a tuft of blanched grass "'or a fungus spreading its bright orange "'among the heaps of brown foliage, "'and ever in and anon, "'her hand was lifted to her averted face. "'Catherine, why are you crying, love?' I asked, "'approaching and putting my arms over her shoulder. "'You mustn't cry because Papa has a cold. "'Be thankful it is nothing worse.' She now put no further restraint on her tears. Her breath was stifled by sobs. Oh, it will be something worse, she said. And what shall I do when Papa and you leave me? And I am by myself. I can't forget your words, Ellen. They are always in my ear how life will be changed how dreary the world will be when papa and you are dead yeah remember she said that to her they were having one of their little tits you know they got into it and she said how sad it would be when when we're dead and that's what i yeah and look i said it right from the right from the jump when we find out find out papa had a cold i said this is what happens you know she's right to worry None can tell whether you won't die before us. I reply, (laughs) that's not the correct response. The correct response isn't saying, well, you might die before we do. It's to reassure her that life will continue in glory and, yes, in misery as the years progress. But that is life. That is as much life as the moss and the blossom and the trembling leaf on the branch of the tree but she will hear none of it and that's not to, it's just not to say well but you might die first that's not right it's wrong to anticipate evil we'll hope there are years and years to come before any of us go master is young and i am strong and hardly 45 my mother lived till 80 a canty dame to the last And suppose Mr. Linton were spared till he saw sixty. That would be more years than you have counted, miss. And would it be not foolish to mourn a calamity above twenty years beforehand? But Aunt Isabella was younger than Papa, she remarked, gazing up with timid hope to seek further consolation. Aunt Isabella had not you and me to nurse her, I replied. She wasn't as happy as master. She hadn't as much to live for. All you need do is wait well on your father and cheer him by letting him see you cheerful and devoid giving you anxiety him anxiety on any subject. Mind that, Kathy. i will not disguise, but you might kill him if you were wild and reckless and cherished a foolish, fanciful affection for the son of a person who would be glad to have him in his grave." And allowed him to discover that you fretted over the separation he has judged it expedient to make. He she's she's doing little else except um blaming her. Blaming her for her father's imminent death. She's basically saying, Look, he's probably gonna be fine, but You know, the fact of the matter is you disobeyed him, and that will probably put him in his grave. But, you know, maybe you'll die first. I fret about nothing on earth except Papa's illness, answered my companion. I care for nothing in comparison with Papa. And I'll never, never, oh never, while I have my senses, do an act or say a word to vex him. I love him better than myself, Ellen, and I know it by this. I pray every night that I may live after him, because I would rather be miserable than that he should be. That proves I love him better than myself. Good words, I replied, but deeds must prove it also. And after he is well, remember, you don't forget resolutions formed in the hour of fear. Well, maybe we should conclude it there. You don't forget resolutions formed in the hour of fear... Which brings us back, of course, to that terrible era in our recent past when our president told us about fear, did he not? And that we had nothing to fear but spiders themselves. And he was right about that. Spiders are very scary. Well, that's going to do it, I think, for us here Uh, In the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library, we had ourselves a time, we shed some tears, we had some laughs, we described nature. All in all, it's been tremendous. So we'll, we'll leave it at that until next time on another historically relevant episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedrin. If you listen and like the show, please help us out with a rating and a review. We want to be obscure, but not that obscure. It's an easy way to support the show. Thanks.